This week's episode is a call-in, so please excuse the audio. And a quick shout-out to our sponsors. All of our sponsors have the same discount code of SmokePit, so remember that when you go to buy your products. First one up is CombatComeOver.com. You can get fine pomades and beard oils for your hair and your face. You can keep those in your nut ruck from Arbor Arms, a tactical fanny pack for your nuts and your butts. Available on ArborArms.com. And last but not least, Hollywood Powder Company. If you like to have fresh-smelling balls or if you like to have gym chalk when you work out, make sure you go to HollywoodPowderCo.com and get all their fine products that you can powder yourself off and be all kinds of smelly delicious. Welcome to the Smoke Pit. Today joining us, we have legendary author uh, Stephen Pressfield. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he's the author of The Legend of Bagger Vance, Gates of Fire, The Afghan Campaign, Virtues of War, The Warrior Ethos. The, the list goes on and on. Uh, Stephen also spent some time in the, the Marine Corps himself. The, the book Gates of Fire, I was introduced to that as uh, part of the Commandant's reading list. And it was a very influential book as far as my uh, warrior mindset development as a, as, as a young Lance Corporal team leader. So thank you very much for joining us today, Stephen. Hi, thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me. I was a Lance Corporal too. <laughs> that was my peak. <laughs> yeah. So um, tell, us, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, who you are, where you came from, what kind of led you into the military, and then I'd, I'd love to get into you know, to some of your, your work. Well, uh, you know, as you uh, introduced me, I'm a writer. I've, I've been trying to be a writer forever. It took me about 30 years before I first I published my first novel. Um, my experience in the military, actually, I was in the Marine Corps Reserves during the Vietnam War and uh, was, was not called up. I didn't actually go overseas. I was an 0311. I'm an infantryman. And uh, so that it, it, at the time that I was in, I wanted to be out more than anything I could think of. <laughs> but it turned out that uh, later on, it's funny, my Marine experience caught up with me later. And I found that I was really calling upon the lessons, you know, every day. And uh, that I realized that it had made a much deeper impression on me than I thought. Um, so uh, basically, you know, I was, uh, I was in the service very young and since then have been uh, trying my whole life to be a writer and to write books. Well, um, I, would say by any metric you've uh, you've you've done a phenomenal job with that and you were able to to touch a lot of people's lives and beyond the writing just for uh, books I see that you also um, have a lot of us uh, screenwrite uh, accomplishments as well uh, everyone from you know Will Smith Matt Damon Steven Seagal Dolph Lundgren um, you know have uh, you know, portrayed part of your work on the the big screen well, I won't. I won't brag about any any of that, Daniel. In fact, uh, if you ask me the names of any of the movies that I've been part of, I probably won't admit to any of them. But it was a, a great learning experience, about a ten-year learning experience. Well, um, it's <laughs> it it's certainly um, unique to be able to uh, to to know that your your medium has reached so many people. I, I kind of started small with things like uh, memes and news articles and uh -huh. satire and skits uh -huh. and podcasting. And there's sometimes where, uh, you know, you, you end up seeing some of your work somewhere and it's, it's a, it's a little uh, humbling because you, you never really know how far a paper airplane will go once you launch it. And sometimes it is, uh, it, it is nice to see the wind catch it a little bit. Ah, I like that analogy. I never heard that before. That's a great thing. It is like a paper airplane. It just kind of the wind takes it, and sometimes you see where it landed, and it's it's amazing to you. If you had to um, uh, boil it down to maybe two or three um, uh, pieces of of literature that that you have created that you feel like you're the most proud of, uh, what would you say? Um, certainly, Gates of Fire would be at the top yeah. of that list. Um, uh, I have a new book that's coming out that I think is called A Man at Arms. I'm hoping that's going to be 
somewhere up at the top. There's another book that uh, not many people have heard of that I'm really proud of. It's called The Lion's Gate. I don't know if you've even heard of this, Daniel. It's, it's a nonfiction book about the Arab-Israeli War of 1967, the Six-Day War, where I went over to Israel for nine weeks and, and uh, interviewed you know, pilots and tank commanders and infantrymen and stuff and uh, kind of created a, a, a portrait of that war. And that's a, a book I'm really proud of, though it never uh, sold very much and people have hardly ever heard of it. But uh, that's one I'm really proud of. Although I must say I'm proud of all of them. Well, I, um, I, I, I have heard of that actually. And, um, from what I saw the, uh, it, it, it's got quite a few, um, five-star reviews on Amazon. And so people can find it there, the lion's gate on the front lines of the six day war. Um, it, it's, uh, it's on my to read list, which I, I feel that, uh, I, I always end up adding far more books every month and every year than I end up actually reading. And Me too. <laughs> it, it seems like it's an ever expanding list. Um, so to that point, um, are there any books that you feel really influenced you as a, as a writer or any books that you hold near and dear to your heart? Um, there are plenty of them. Um, now, would you be, when you're asking that, Daniel, are you asking it in the sense of a book I would recommend for other people to read or something just that that has meant a lot to me? Uh, to you, because, uh, you know, obviously I, you know, have uh, I've never written a book and I've, you know, I've, I've never worked on uh, uh, screenplays and stuff, but I do make a lot of content that does get seen on on other channels. And sometimes as a creator. Uh, it, you kind of get into a mindset where the way that you appreciate things becomes differently. You look to see what they do well, what maybe you would have done differently, and you kind of have more of a business mindset versus there are times where, you know, whether you're a painter or a photographer or, you know, whatever your medium is, you have to be able to step back and appreciate it as a spectator and not as a creator. So I guess my question would be just as uh, a fan of literature, uh, you know, are there any works that, that you appreciate? One of the things that I that I always say, Dan, is that nothing good has been written in the last 2,500 years. So <laughs> I like to go back to the ancient Greeks. And if you put me on a, on a desert island, and if I could only have a couple of books, I would bring Thucydides' History of the Peloponnesian War. That is an incredibly difficult read, but is in many ways, it's like the Bible to me in the sense of the way that Thucydides thinks of things and, and writes of things. I would also include any book by Xenophon, Xenophon with an X, the, uh, the uh, March of the 10,000, which is a great one. And um, I would include anything by Plato, particularly his Socratic dialogues. They're tremendous. Herodotus, the histories that goes back there uh, in that era that uh, from which Gates of Fire really came from that book, from its description of the Battle of Thermopylae and the Spartans. Um, I even would go to the plays of Aeschylus, Sophocles, Euripides. Those are just incredible plays. Um, so I would definitely, those are the books that have kind of had the deepest impact on me, including Homer, the Odyssey and the Iliad, particularly the Iliad, the story of Achilles and all that stuff. It's, uh, it's really... If we think about the military, if you want to think about a description of, of uh, what the warrior mindset is, I mean, nobody has topped that in, you know, 4,000 years. It's still incredible. I, I'll definitely have to, um, to, to go back and add a few of those to my list. Uh, I um, have uh, a secret pleasure where I will read a book that's either uh, loosely based on uh, historical events or uh, takes place in uh, some sort of actual location. You know, like you can't go to Middle Earth to you know, recreate, <laughs> you know, some scenes, but uh, I like to travel to places uh, from some of my favorite books. Uh, but the uh, most important book in my life has been the Bible and going to places like Jordan to see where Jesus was baptized or going to uh, Cuba to see where uh, Hemingway referenced in the old man in the sea and uh, being able to go to the Amalfi coast and see where, you know, the, uh, the sirens tempted Odysseus in, in his uh, journey 
and being able to see the places where these great literary works were inspired by, that's always been very special to me. And you mentioned with your, um, you know, with your research of the, uh, the Lionsgate that you actually went over to where the events take, have taken place. Are there any other places that you've traveled to to kind of get a, a better connection with as far as places that you've either read about or that you've written about? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Daniel. I love to go to those places. Now, the only, the only thing, of course, is a lot of times they've really changed. Like if you, I went to Thermopylae hoping there would be, you know, some sort of, you know, geographic feeling of, well, this is what the battle was like, but it turns out there's actually a, a freeway there, which of course makes sense because it's a, it's the only pass between Northern and Southern <laughs> Greece. But at the same time, over 2,500 years, erosion and sedimentation has taken place so that the coastline is now like a mile and a half or even two miles out into the Gulf from where it used to be. Oh, so wow. what was the battlefield is now sort of, it's the mountain has kind of all fallen down. And uh, in fact, when I was there, I met the farmer that owns the place. He was out there on his tractor. So <laughs> it's not like going to Gettysburg or something like that, where they've turned it into a, a monument that you can actually see. But um, yeah, I mean, to go to Israel and the uh, border with Egypt and Sinai, that's another place, because like you say, things have really not changed that much. You know, you can really go to the place where David and Jonathan assaulted the Amorites and things like you can see the actual canyon, you know, and it's just like it was, just like they described it in the Bible. And the other weird thing about that sort of thing is that young Israelis, particularly guys and gals in the military, are kind of making pilgrimages themselves to that place. So you go to these places, I'm sure you've seen this, and there's like a lot of people there, you know, they've come for the exact same experience. It's like the top of Mount Everest, where it's just full of climbing teams that are trying to assault the summit. But it is, it is amazing to go to those places and you say to yourself, the incredible things that happen here, and you try to imagine what, uh, what they, what they, what it was like. Um, like, Here's another really sad example. The, one of Alexander the Great's great battles was the Battle of Issus that took place in Turkey, and that, or what is Turkey today? And if you go there now, there's a chemical plant there <laughs> you know, on this plane where Alexander the Great charged across this plane. It's like this totally polluted waterway, and fumes are going into the sky. It's terrible, yeah. but. Uh, you really have to use your imagination and things like that. I uh, I get the uh, the the idea of what you're saying. Like sometimes you you go somewhere for um, an expectation, and I've been very fortunate that I've been able to go certain places. Like uh, while I was in Guantanamo Bay, I got to go to the hill where Sartan Quick um, infamously uh, coined uh, the phrase "wigwagging" in Marine Corps lore forever, where you know he used the flags to signal signal naval gunfire to beat back the um the Spaniards and he was awarded the Medal of Honor. And so I was able to to go to that location and kind of like visualize. And so that was very rewarding. Uh but then when I went to visit uh Tun Tavern in Philadelphia to see the you know the birthplace of our beloved Corps, um uh, it's 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 just a sign now and there's <laughs> a road that goes through it. And it just it kind of really takes the wind out of your sails when you, you know you get somewhere expecting to have some you know, connection to hollowed ground and it's just a freeway. Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, like you say, there are those unexpected moments. Like I was in, this is just a small thing, but when I was researching one of my books that was about the Second World War was about uh, the North Africa campaign. I went to the British War Museum in England and which was a great place where they really take care of you. It's amazing what they do for you. But as I'm walking on the street there, I passed this house and there's a plaque on the wall and it said something to the effect of Captain William Bly lived here, you know, in 1790, da, 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 of mutiny on the bounty fame. You know, this was his, his house. And I thought, wow, that is really cool. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it, it's also very cool going through, you know, like you said, over places overseas where there's so much history, like, um, you, you can't go through certain parts of Europe without throwing a stone and it hitting something that's older than our country. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it's very, very interesting to see how those, 
events have really shaped the area because there were you know, battles and campaigns fought that were started because of thousand year old family feuds. And I think that uh, Americans don't really have the same kind of perception of time and, um, and history in that aspect where you go to places overseas and it's like, oh yeah, we don't like that town. And it's like, nobody can tell you why they just have hated each other for 2000 years. Yeah. The other weird thing, of course, is that there are certain places that just geographically there have been battle after battle after battle has happened on that place. You know, I mean, even Thermopylae, where the Spartans made their stand, that was like not the first battle there. That was like the 30th battle that happened there. And even in World War II, there were fights there with the Greeks against the Nazis, which makes sense because it is a narrow pass. And if you're going to go there, you got to get, you know, that's it. Yeah. And it, uh, it, uh, it's really crazy to think about how much that, uh, that battle, the, the repercussions of that. And then you think of not only what happened then, but then you also think of our, our entertainment. I, you know, read Gates of Fire and I was, uh, extremely excited to, you know, see the 300 movie that came out. And when I was sitting in theater, I was just like, this isn't like the book. <laughs> and well. You know, Daniel, that that movie did not come from Gates of Fire. You know no, that? no, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely aware of that. But you kind of yeah. hope that when you see things that are, you know, of the same event, that there would be some sort of similarity. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you get so invested in certain characters because of the length of a book. And I, I truly believe that any movie is is designed to fail when it is based off of a book because you can't get the same connection that you can in a in a book that takes you 20 or 30 yeah. hours to read versus a yeah. movie that takes an hour and a half to watch. Yeah, absolutely. So from a uh, creative perspective, when you sit down to, to start a book, um, can you kind of walk us through your process a little bit as far as just having the creativity to be able to um, give depth to so many different characters. Like, where do you even start with that? It's, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, certainly when you do a, a his, historical fiction where it's actually based on a real event, like if you, let's say you're going to do something about the Battle of Gettysburg, you know, you would, you're constrained because you're by the facts, you know, actual things happened, right? There was a certain charge, a certain thing happened and so on and so forth. So first I would yeah, start with that. This general was known to be a curmudgeon. This general was known to, you know, have this sort of disposition. Exactly. So for me, the first question I always ask in anything, any work of fiction or nonfiction or anything is, is theme. What is this about? You know, at its essence, what is this story about? And I don't mean that the, the subject matter. I mean, what is the deep, the deep theme of the story? You know, maybe it's about courage under pressure. Maybe it's about a return from exile. Maybe it's, it, it could be anything like that. And once I've, once I've kind of got that, the next thing I ask myself is how does this story end? What's the climax of this story? And uh, I sort of work from back to front. Once I have kind of the climax, then I can kind of say to myself, well, what, what, what scenes do I have to have to build up to this specific climax? And then I kind of ask myself, how do I get into this story? In other words, who tells this story? What's the point of view of this story? Like if you think about um, To Kill a Mockingbird, the story is told by the little girl Scout, right? about her dad, Atticus Finch, and that kind of thing. And the book or that story or the movie would have been completely different if it had been told from some other angle. So yeah. that's the next thing I try to do. I try to figure out what, what is the angle of the story? Who's telling it? For instance, in Gates of Fire, I thought that the Spartan culture was sort of so strange and so unique and so unfamiliar to contemporary readers that I felt like I had to have some way that I could kind of ease the reader into it. So I decided to have the story told by an intermediary character, by a squire to the real hero of the story, Dionicus the Spartan. And coming from this young boy who's carrying the armor 
for the main character, he could kind of tell the story and let, let the reader in little by little by being an intermediary character. So it's, it's, it's a complicated process, but th that's sort of the basic thrust of how I, I do it. Okay. And looking back over your career as a writer, uh, what do you wish that you could tell yourself uh, that you know now that you didn't know when you first started writing? You know, that's another great question. I, I think in many ways, there's nothing you can tell yourself. You know, the, the process is, for me, was so long and so painful. And I failed so many times that, but if I look back on it, it's not like I could beam myself in at year three and tell myself some secret hack and that would cut, you know, I'd be able to cut ahead 10 years. It's almost like you have to pay your dues. You have to um, go through the, the, the loneliness and go through the struggles. And uh, so really, I would say there's really no shortcut that I could have told myself if I could have beamed myself back. It, it, the, the process had to be gone through, you know, agonizing step by agonizing step. That makes sense. Just kind of like, uh, if you think about like, I'm going to interrupt you a minute here, Dave, if you no, think please, about a salty, a salty old gunnery sergeant that we might meet in the Marine Corps, you know, that has been through like 20 different deployments or whatever. How did he get to be, be to know what he knows? There was like no shortcut, you know, he had to go through all of those deployments and all of the ups and downs and tragedies and losses to get to the place that, that he is now. Oh, I mean, I, I, I do feel like if I had gone back to, uh, <laughs> to, to my youth, I, I did 12 years and, and five deployments before I got out. And I, I most certainly could have been like, hey, stay away from that stripper or, you know, don't drink too much. <laughs> don't drink too much before this hike or, uh, you know, there, 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 are, there are a few emeralds I, that I uh, think I would have appreciated. I'm, I'm not sure I agree with you for myself. <laughs> when I think of like a lot of the really dead ends and bad stuff that I went through along my odyssey. Yeah. They all turned out to be really valuable to me in the end. And I wouldn't disown any of them. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you there because if, you know, if you, you change one thing, uh, who knows where uh, a course may have altered. Uh, I've, I've always long been fascinated with the ideas that I am the product of the fact that, you know, um, and uh, a bowman somewhere hundreds and hundreds of maybe even thousands of years ago, he aimed uh, a quarter of an inch to the left, where if he would have aimed a quarter of an inch to the right, it may have struck one of my ancestors and I never would have even been here. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, every, every micro decision for a thousand years along the way also influenced that to, to bring to this exact moment. So no, you're absolutely right. Um, but there, there are a few times where I, I kind of ask myself like, you know, did I really need to go through that trauma? Like, could, I, <laughs> could I have still been a good person and uh, contributed to society without stubbing my toe on that obstacle? Like, did I, did, did I really need that one? <laughs> I'm sure God is wise enough to figure out a way to have taught me that lesson without making me have suffered that. But, but no, that that's always just kind of done in jest. So if you were to offer um, advice to any young authors out there who haven't quite forged their, their odyssey yet though, uh, what, what, what direction would you give them? And this is kind of cool because, you know, sometimes Odysseus does come across, um, you know, certain people who, you know, guide his, his path a little bit. So, you know, this is, this is a great opportunity for you to be that character in someone else's story. Uh, what would you say? Well, you know, I actually, uh, I wrote a blog post on this very subject a little while ago, and I was kind of asking myself of all the pieces of advice that anybody gave me, what was the what was the best one piece of advice? And this came from a director that I worked with when I first started at, in the in the movie business, where I was kind of the a totally new writer sitting beside him at a table and and uh, you know working with him developing a script. And it, th what he simply said to me was, "Keep working." He said, "Don't turn down any job. Don't don't turn down a slasher pick." Don't turn down porn. Don't turn down any job for free that you can do for somebody because every time you're working, you're learning. You're in your chosen field. You're becoming more and more of a professional. And even um, if it's for free, it doesn't matter. Not only are you learning your craft, 
but you're, you're making friends. You're learning from people, somebody that you meet right now that might be delivering coffee five years from now can be a producer and will hire you to, to do a movie. But the other thing is that a lot of times somebody will like finish a book or finish a project and they'll get it out there and then they'll just sort of wait for the response. You know, oh, is this going to be a hit? Is this people going to respond to this? And I don't think you should ever do that. Keep working. Start the next project right away. Don't ever stop working. Um, because I'm a believer in the muse. I believe in the goddess that inspires us. And if she's looking down on us and she sees us working, she approves of that. She likes that. And she's going to help us. You know, so that was the single best piece of advice I would get. I would give to anybody in any field. Keep working. Well, that's uh, that's that's certainly uh, great advice. And so I like to play devil's advocate on uh, on a lot of things because I feel that it helps me get a more complete view of the world. And so when you're constantly working, I I've known where I've been there in my life. Uh, there are kind of two things that that come up: either uh, burnout or some sort of writer's block. And how have you found um, the best way to overcome those? You know, I don't believe in either of those things. I don't believe there is such a thing as writer's block. And I don't believe there is such a thing as burnout. If you, if you I mean, in, I think you are familiar with my book, The War of Art, and the concept of resistance with a capital R. I think that what people call writer's block and what people call burnout, to me, is just our, our own self-generated self-sabotage. And my answer to that, I know this is a hardcore answer, but it's always worked for me, is just what I said to you, keep working. You know, Don't let it, even if you're in the driest possible uh, season, keep digging, keep get that shovel and keep shoveling. And little by little, you'll get yourself out of it. Um, so I, I'm not a believer in either of those things, writer's block or burnout. <laughs> and uh, you, you have written on your, on your website uh, that you believe that sometimes the, the individual can be their own enemy. And as you said, resistance, self-sabotage, procrastination, fear, arrogance, self-doubt, uh, that, we, that we all possess these things inside of us. And so you, you speak to... To, to length on your website so our, our viewers can go there for more, but could you speak to us now a little bit about uh, some of the ways that we can overcome those things that end up being our, our biggest obstacle in ourself? Um, okay. Let me go back to an earlier question, you know, that you asked me, Daniel, which was what would, what would be the single piece of advice I might give to somebody? Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll uh, let me take back what I said about keep working and do it and do another thing that's even more basic. The most basic thing, I think, if anybody wants to be a writer or an artist or an entrepreneur, or anything that's kind of a, that's coming out of your own heart, the first and most important thing, I think, is to be aware that the playing field is not level. It's not neutral. For you going forward, it's stacked against you. For you to go forward and, uh, you know, for you with podcasting or with anything you're involved in, or me writing a book or anything like that, the first thing you have to know is that there's this negative force inside your own brain that is going to be constantly trying to sabotage you and trying to stop you from living your dream. And that's the force that I call resistance with a capital R. And it's that same force that if you get a, you join a gym and suddenly you find that you haven't been to the gym in the last three months, or you buy a, uh, uh, an exercise bike and it goes in the attic and you never touch it. What's stopping you from doing that is this force of resistance. And it's the same thing with any creative enterprise that the voice in your head will tell you, you're not good enough to do this. You're a bum. Your idea stinks. This has been done a million times before. It's always been done better than you. Who are you to do this? So the first step I think is to recognize that there is this force because we don't think it's there. We think we can just charge right ahead and everything's going to be fine, but we can't charge right ahead because we will try to sabotage ourselves. The enemy is within, it's right in between our ears. So the first step I think for any creator, any artist, any entrepreneur is to figure some way to get around that, 
to, to overcome that dragon that you've got to slay every morning. And, and that to me is the way you do that is you adapt, adopt a professional mindset and stop thinking and don't think of yourself as an amateur. Most people who fail, fail because they, they have amateur habits and not professional habits. And when I say an amateur habit, when an amateur encounters adversity, he caves in, he quits, right? But when a pro, and this is really kind of a warrior concept too, because when I say a professional, it's kind of a warrior mindset too. When a professional encounters adversity, they play through it. They keep going. They don't stop. They know they've got to show up every day and do their work and they do it no matter what. When, like when you were talking about writer's block or burnout, it may be hard. It may be painful. There may be, you may be in a total dry spell, but the professional shows up every day and keeps hammering. And sooner or later, that stone that you're hammering with a, with a, you know, with a sledgehammer, finally it'll crack. So I don't know. That's kind of a long answer to what you're saying, but that's how I, that's how I look at it. No, we, we definitely appreciate that um, because it, it's, it's better to have a long answer than an incomplete answer. <laughs> and I, uh, I have definitely experienced um, what I would perceive to be burnout. And I guess that the words are subjective. And uh, as a creator, it's, it's hard to write something in a way that will be perceived the same way by everyone. Cause you know, there's always going to be someone that takes it this way or, you know, has something right. to say. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but I guess for me, that perception is that if I am uh, not putting out the quality of work that I want to put out, that sometimes I do need to take a little bit of a break, uh, whether it's you know working out, muscles need time to heal. If you've been staring at a computer screen or you know at uh, at the, the the blinking line in your your word program, uh, sometimes it's it's nice to you know close your eyes and walk away and just kind of like. Uh, refocus or adjust your your grip a little bit, and so I I, I understand that um, you know, the importance of uh, persistence is uh, is undervalued in our society today because I feel that a lot of people have that mentality where if they don't succeed the first time, if they're not a hit the first time, if they don't you know go viral the first time they put something out, then it's like oh well I'm no good at this and I quit and I don't like it. But it is incredibly important to continue to pursue it. Because if that's the, the, the field that you have chosen and you're putting your voice out into the world, um, it's, it's not going to be easy. And particularly if the reason why you want to put this out into the world is to inspire people, make people happy, guide them towards healing or growth or self-development or educate or inform or entertain. Uh, if, you're, if you're putting these things out in the world to be helpful for one person or reason or another, then it is incredibly important to continue to be persistent, to persevere, to overcome those obstacles, to not allow the adversity to uh, keep you from your desired goal. Yeah. I mean, I, of course I couldn't agree more. I mean, if you think of, if you take sort of the long view and you think of playing the long game and let's say you're 24 years old, it's kind of interesting kind of exercise to think of yourself as 44 years old. And think of what you, where you could be at that point and how much of a different person you're going to be at that point. And that person at 44, let's say you're an artist of some kind, is going to be capable of so much more than you can be, that you're capable of at 24. How much more experience they will have. You know, even if a lot of that experience is technically quote unquote failure. In fact, you, a lot of times you learn more from failure than success. In fact, I think you do. So to think of, of a long, the long game, you know, a friend of mine said to me once, this is something I've always kept with me. He said, people always say life is short. He says, but really life is long. It goes on, you know, for a long, long time. I have my agent. I was just talking to my agent this morning. My agent is 100 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> he turned 100, like about six or seven. He's still working. And he's been through, you know, God knows how many transformations and how many different things. So um, if you look ahead, like looking at, 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 uh, at your future, Daniel, you probably got another 50 or 60 years of creative time ahead of you. And you're going to evolve through God knows how many changes. So the, it's, it's a great 
um, strengthening device, I think, to think of, take the long view. Think of, look at a career like Bruce Springsteen, where he started, you know, whatever, the E Street Band and when he was 21 years old. And what is he now, 71 or something like that? He's still going. He's got, you know, another 20 years ahead of him. So, and how much more is he capable of now than he was back then? So if you're young and you're struggling right now, just remember, you got a lot of time on your side. You got your whole life ahead of you. Just keep working, keep plugging. <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And there's uh, sometimes that you kind of forge your own resilience by um, overcoming. And uh, for example, like when I'll just use arbitrary numbers, but say like you were 10 years old and you tried to curl a 10 pound weight, it may have been very difficult. And then, you know, by the time you got to 15, maybe, you know, you moved up a little bit and you, know, you get your t into your 20s, your 30s, whatever the case is. And now you can curl two, three, four, five times that. And it's not the fact that the weight got any lighter. It's just the fact that you got stronger. And a lot of people still respond to stress and, um, and obstacles the way they would have responded when they weren't as strong as they are now, but they have to be reminded like, Hey, look, you're, you're more experienced, you're more resilient, you're more talented, you're more educated, you're more knowledgeable and wise than you were the last time you experienced an obstacle like this. So don't act like you are still the same person. Act like a person who has the benefit of all that experience and strength and resiliency when dealing with this obstacle, because 10 pounds didn't get any lighter. You just got stronger. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I find myself that that's an issue I struggle with, you know, that sometimes I, I, I'm still thinking with the mindset that I had, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And it's, I, it's very hard to kind of remind myself, you know, you've learned more, you've got, you've evolved farther, you know, you know, uh, embrace where you are now. It's a tough one, tough one for me. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I will say that, um, you know, sometimes you, you do have to give yourself some credit and I am going to put you on the spot and force you to give yourself some credit. Uh, you said that as far as the warrior mindset goes, that there hasn't been anything, um, you know, good written in, 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 the, la in the recent history, but I, I would challenge that. And I would say that uh, when you truly come to capturing the mindset of somebody who is placed in an impossible situation where all they have is the moments before them and the heart beating in their chests and the strength in their hands and the knowledge of the and strength and passion of their convictions. There was a moment in Gates of Fire where uh, there was some sardonic humor and a character was talking about how a situation could get any more miserable. And they said, I suppose if a river snake crawled up my ass and gave birth to quintuplets would be the only way that the situation could get worse. And I remember when I read that, you know, being um, uh, a young Lance Corporal who had already deployed once and getting ready for my second deployment, I remember closing the book, setting it down, walking into a different room and laughing for about a good five minutes straight. <laughs> wow, that, that makes me feel pretty good, Daniel. Thanks for telling me that story. That would and, be the last thing I would have thought. And I have always kind of uh, had the mindset, well, it could be worse. It could be worse. And I've had to temper that a little bit with the idea that, you know, a broken toe isn't as bad as a broken leg, but it still hurts. And it's still important <laughs> to acknowledge that. But you have to be realistic about the, um, the impact that something has, even if it is painful. But being able to tell yourself like, okay, you know, at least it's not raining. Well, if it is raining, uh, at least we're not getting shot at. Okay, it's raining and we're getting shot at. Well, at least there's not a river snake in my ass. You know, like there, there's always something where it could be worse, and you have to find that that mental resiliency as far as your cap, because some people will go internal or they'll break down because of stress because they feel like they've reached their limit. I, I, that's it. I've had it. I can't take any more. This is it. Like, I'm not dealing with this. It's like, no, you, you have the ability to deal with more. What if, you know, your, you know, your mother was in front of you and you had to pursue to save her life. What if, you know, your, your child was there and your actions in the next five seconds were completely, um, where it was completely, the only reason where they were going to survive or not like, no, you have more to give, you have more resiliency, you have more capacity and it could get worse and you could still conquer it if it got worse. And 
I, I can't tell you how many times I've I've done this this lesson where I've taken some guys out of mine on a run or a hike or something, and we come back to you know the the barracks, and you know they kind of get that you know that that little bit of swagger, and they're like, okay, we made it, and we just keep running, and they're looking back, and they're like, <laughs> so, like sergeant, like the barracks is right there, and I was like, did I say we were stopping? <laughs> so we get back and I pull them around. It's like, you thought we were done. Right. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, and you could tell that you felt yourself mentally giving up uh-huh. once yeah. we got there. Cause you thought that's all you had to do, but you can't get in the mindset that this is the finish line. The finish line is wherever the finish line is. It's not where you think it is. And whether it's this or an operation in Afghanistan, like you may think that we're all done, but Hey, now we get a call from higher. We got to go to the next village over and conduct another 12 hours of operations. Like, hey, a truck's going to show up, give us a couple bottles of water, an MRE, and a reload on ammo, and we got another two-week operation. You know, it, it, it's not fair to place limitations on your own mind as far as what you think you're capable of because the mind will usually tell you you can't do something before the body will actually give out. Well, you're a terrific leader, Daniel, to, to put your guys through that, you know, because that is an incredible lesson. You know, you thought you were back at the barracks, but we're going to go. We're gonna, we've just gotten started. And it's absolutely true. And that's another thing that I struggle with, too, that uh, I, I, I my mind will go, oh, now I'm done. I've done this thing and I, I can stop. And then I realize, you know, I can't. I've got to rally. That's that's one of the you know, they say. And I think this is really true in sport that. When momentum changes in a game, like in a football game or anything you want to think about, one of the, the, the highest level is once the momentum has gone completely against you and it's like the game is over, if you can rally and come back from that, that's an incredible you know, example of mental toughness and so, so hard to do. Yeah. And it's, uh, and, and, it's it's okay to to fail. It's okay to um to to meet challenges that you weren't quite ready to overcome. There's a lot of great and prolific generals and leaders throughout history who have lost battles. But the important part is is it doesn't matter how hard you hit the ground. It's how hard. It's how quickly you get back up. And being able to give yourself the mindset that like I am resilient. I am tough. And even if I uh, am defeated or damaged or whatever doesn't mean that that's going to be the end of my story and you know sometimes in in life and in combat there are a lot of similarities now granted um you know nowadays that uh, i'm not deploying to iraq and afghanistan anymore if uh you know i get a flat tire or you know if my team loses or if my cryptocurrency takes a dip like you know i think that's a terrible day and i have to remind myself what a terrible day was for me in iraq or what a terrible day was for me in Afghanistan. And it's, uh, it's incredibly interesting to see the, the way that people are, are able to overcome their adversities. And I, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but you do have a new book out called Man at Arms. And would you tell us a little bit about the, um, that book and kind of like what led you to, um, to, to want to go into to that area? Well, uh, a Man at Arms is... Let me go back a little farther than that. There's only one character in all my books that's a recurring character. And he is this kind of uh, solitary mercenary, like a, like a Clint Eastwood character, the man with no name, or a samurai, you know, a lone samurai. And his name is Telamon of Arcadia. And he's appeared in three of my previous books. And he's always been kind of a minor character in those books, uh, but he would play a really central role. And... People have written into me, and I've thought this myself, and said, when are you going to write a book that's just about this one character? We really want to hear what his story is about. And so for, I don't know, for like maybe 15 years, I was trying to find that story. I, I, I knew I could bring this guy back, and I wanted to bring him back. And I, I myself was tremendously curious about where he was going to go, because he's kind of a character that sort of has exhausted the warrior archetype, exhausted the kind of warrior identity, and has come to the point where, he, where he's, he's asking, what's next? How, where do I go beyond this? How can I take what I've learned and, and take it to another level? And so I finally sort of found this story that I wanted to tell about Telamon, 
And so that was the book. Once I start, sat down and, and started to write it, it just kind of came out in like this great rush from start to finish. Oh, that's uh but it was definitely a, a pleasure to uh, to see that unfold, and uh, it it takes place shortly after um, the 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 crucifixion of Jesus, and it's kind of in that time frame. And I, again, I I don't want to give away anything, but it is available, uh, and people can check that out on your website, stephenpressfield.com. You have uh, Instagram and Twitter and all the various different social media channels. Um, where, where would you like people to, to reach out to you the most? Like what, what, what is the most accessible way? Um, for this book, um, if you can remember the title, A Man at Arms, I'll show that I got it right here. A Man at Arms. If you just Google www.amanatarms.com, it'll take you to a page that's all about the book and it has uh, bonuses and premiums and gifts and stuff like that incentivize people to pre-order or to order. So amanatarms.com is the, is the place to go. Awesome. Uh, are there any uh, parting thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, that's a great question. Um, I, I would just, I would just go back to what I said before about life, not being short, but being long. And I think today, one of, I don't know how it started. Maybe it was with social media, maybe it was something else, but somehow we've, we've developed, we as a society have kind of developed this mindset of like the quick fix, a hack, right? Some trick, that we can pull off, you know, like Kim Kardashian does a sex tape and the next thing you know, she's making billions of dollars, right? <laughs> so many of us have this idea today that if we can just do this one thing, yeah. we just find this one crappy little thing and we go viral and then we've got it made. And it's absolutely not true. There's a famous story about uh, the actor, Walter Matthau. I don't know if anybody even remembers who Walter Matthau was. Uh, grumpy but, old uh, man. <laughs> it's called you know, he was from The Odd Couple and a bunch of yeah. other things like that. And at one point, a young actor supposedly was with him on the set. And he said to Walter Matthau, he said, Mr. Matthau, I'm just looking for that one break. And Matthau started laughing. And he said, kid, it's not the one break. It's the 50 breaks. Yeah. And what he meant by that was... Maybe you do get a, go viral with a video, or maybe you do have a little bit of a hit or something like that. Believe me, 10 minutes later, everybody has forgotten you. And the next question is, what do I do next? What's next in my evolution? And I, I would say to anybody that's, that's young and that's sort of in this, in this state of uh, trying to find their own identity and trying to find their calling, what they're here, what they're here for, that play the long game. It's a long life. A lot of things are going to change. You learn, you learn, you grow, you grow. You can never predict where you're going to be five years from now or even one year from now. So be patient with yourself. I would say, don't be hard on yourself. Life is long. A lot, enjoy it as you're going along and don't expect that quick hit that's going to solve everything because it won't. Oh, uh, completely. It's I. I believe that the Odd Couple came out in the uh, the sixties, and I was first introduced to Walter Matthau and Grumpy Old Men. That came out in the nineties. All right, that's what he yeah, was him into. And, yeah, yeah, him and Jack Lemmon. There's a fantastic scene where he's trying to stab Jack Lemmon with a fish when they're they're out on a lake, uh, a frozen lake. And it's, <laughs> oh man, I might I might have to rewatch that movie, but. No, uh, you're absolutely right. And even in the uh, the small amount of success that I've experienced, I've I've noticed that like you know you put out something and it goes well, and you know you get more followers and likes for a little surge. But then after a day or two, it's just kind of like, okay, the traffic died off. Like, what's next? What, what, yeah. What's what's the next you know piece of content that I'm going to put out to yeah. try to uh, to to grow my following? Because that's the difference between where I am now and where I was when I started. There's many pieces of content along the way that kind of built the steps to being able to get to a place where I have the ability to, you know, <laughs> interview an author that made me laugh uh, 15 years ago. <laughs> and it, uh, it had a huge impact in my, my life and my warrior ethos and every Marine that I instructed and led after that. So uh, 
I guess, uh, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to join us and thank you for your insight and uh, your candor as far as your, um, your, your struggles and your successes and your triumphs. And um, if you had the ability and one final quick question, cause I think this might be kind of cool. If you kind of had the ability to uh, uh, shadow a, uh, somebody, an actual historical character, and find out who they actually were and what they were like and kind of be, you know, the fly on the wall during uh, a battle or a meeting or a signing of a treaty, uh, who would it have been? Well, the, the, the really obvious answer is it would probably be Jesus, you know, yeah. and I don't say this, you know, um, for any of the normal reasons, but um, it would be certainly, uh, or I would say Buddha or Krishna or Lao Tzu or any of the great kind of spiritual figures, it would be incredible to follow them around and see like the real person. What did they really say? What was it really like to be in their presence? Yeah. You know, we, we'll never, we'll never know. Um, but I, I would think it would be somebody like that rather than say a military figure. I would pick a spiritual figure. That makes sense. I, um, I, I gave you the easy version of that question. I generally like to ask people like, you know, who would you like to smoke a blunt with or who would you like to, <laughs> who would you like to fist fight in the parking lot of a Denny's at 2 a.m.? Uh, surprisingly, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln is the most common answer I get to both of those. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. A lot of I people. I wonder how many answers you get where the answer <laughs> is a woman. Not very many. Yeah. It's probably interesting. You know, I guess people uh, want somebody they pattern themselves after rather than someone that's maybe of the opposite sex. I don't know. It'd be That'd be an interesting question. What woman, you know, or to a male audience, what woman would you like to meet? What woman and would why? you like to fist fight in the parking lot of a den? <laughs> Honestly, I, I'd say maybe B. Arthur. She was a Marine. She was. Uh, <laughs> she really? Was, she was? Yeah. She, uh, she was a Marine. I think she, I'm, I'm like, a 5'11 barefooted. I think she's taller than me too. So that might've been a good fight. <laughs> like her versus Abraham Lincoln. They were both about the same height. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's another thing that I always appreciate about um, uh, a really good military book was the kind of absurd banter that, that occurs momentarily because not every conversation that takes place in a, in a foxhole is some deep spiritual awakening or yeah, you know, right. Very, coming, very few. Yeah. Coming to terms with, you know, your, your reality. A lot of it is just you know, the, the most comically absurd uh, conversations that you could possibly have. Uh, so <laughs> thank you again for joining us and uh, for, for your time and make sure you guys uh, check out um, Stephen's new book, man at arms. And uh, I'm thoroughly confident that you'll enjoy it. So Right, thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. We'll do it again anytime if you want to. Fair winds and following seas, and we'll see you next time in the smoke pit.